Hey guys, thanks for tuning in to C3 Corumbans podcast. We want you to know that you are loved by a God who is love. So good to have you with us. Why don't you enjoy this week's sermon? Good to see you all. Incredible. If we haven't met yet, my name is Dan. My wife Hannah and I get the honor of leading this incredible church along with an amazing team. So good to have you guys here. And now that the live stream's not working, I can finally say everything I've been wanting to say the last year, but haven't been allowed to. There's a list. Just kidding. In all honesty, though, sometimes I go to say something, no, I can't. That's on YouTube forever. So (laughs) today it's free reign. All right. MA, 15 plus. (laughs) Good to see you. Uh, If you haven't been with us the last few weeks or months, we've been preaching through the book of 1 John. Uh, for the last little while and we are into chapter 2 halfway through chapter 2 at the moment we've got seven months in the book of 1st John and so we've been enjoying it Uh, you know last year 2020 I say this every week just so we can continuously say stay on this kind of track of why we'd preach through a book because we preach through books in the past and then sometimes people come up and they're like oh you know we should we should we should preach on this topic I'm like I did for four months we preached through Colossians or Philippians or Six months we preached through something. So uh, the reason we're going through First John, 2020, what was exposed to us, we believe, is that so many Christians in the Western worldwide had a relationship with church, but not Jesus. And that scares me as a pastor because numbers, Western world, American numbers are tragic. What's happening in the church, it is so, the attendance is so down, engagement is so down, and what it was exposed is that, a relationship with church, but not Jesus. So we did all last year of walking in Him. What does it look like for all of us to have a deep relationship with Jesus Christ? Whether you are at church, whether you're a builder, whether you're a barista, whether you're a teacher, whether you're a doctor, whatever you were doing right now, what does it Monday morning look like walking in Him? And then what happened last year, long story short, was it became increasingly clear to a lot of us that a lot of Christians' point of view of what was happening in the world last year, and dare I say this year remaining, is that Christians were more passionate about their view and opinion of some topics last year than their commitment and view of the gospel. And they were willing to die on some hills that for me, I'm like, that's not a hill you should be willing to die on as a Christian. Your topic over borders or, or, or vaccines or workplace things. Yes, we can get passionate about it. Yes, Christians should have a voice in them. But we are, number one, passionate about gospel issues. Salvation issues, loving people issues, church issues, ecclesiology, eschatology. Our views of when he's coming back for his bride. Yes. But the other views, yes, have your opinion. You are free to and you're free to be passionate about it. But just not as passionate about the gospel. So... Uh, not as passionate as you are <laughs> about the gospel. So th- this year we're doing an entire year on walking in Him, together in Him. So not just walking in Him, but what does it look like walking together in Him, hand in hand, arm in arm, unity, where we can accept someone sitting next to you who has a different opinion on how the election went last week. Rumbles, right? Come on now. I know, I know. Some outcomes happened last week that some of you are stoked with and some of you aren't happy with. Who cares when it comes to eternity? Let's pray for people to be saved. Let's love people. Let's pray for our new government. Thank you, Lord, that you have never been out of control. (laughs) Thank you, Lord, that we looked at first four chapters of Acts, end of 2020. We looked at God's spirit, God's salvation, God's sovereignty. 
I'm just going to remind you, just, this is just a quick one. I'm not trying to annoy anyone, but just a quick one. I'm struggling to find any literature in the early church fathers pre AD 300 where they had heaps of favour with the government. <laughs> trying to find anywhere that the apostles wrote letters to Caesar about getting tax relief and favour with events happening in public circles. Oh, we want to do a, we want to do a concert outside. The government's really not for us. I just can't find literature from Polycarb about that. But I'll keep looking just for you guys. But what I do find is a relentless commitment to Jesus, being empowered by the Holy Spirit, loving people, His church, eternity, His mission. Amen. And so we're going to be the same. And uh, while, yes, we're going to be engaging in whatever the local community and government and, and, and culture is doing right now. We are not submitting ourselves to the local culture. We are bringing in a kingdom culture of love and joy and peace and patience and kindness. So walking together in Him, what does it look like for us to work out our salvation as sons and daughters of the Most High God, as born-again Christians, freed from sin and death, alive by the power of the Spirit, working that out together in 2022. I don't know. Let's go to lunch right now. Uh, we've got communion on. I got, no, just kidding. All right. If you've got your Bible, we've got two, three verses to go through today. That um, they're a little different. I was saying to Hannah, I was like, look, this is kind of a strange passage as well. It's like, um, yeah, we'll, we'll look at that. And, uh, and then I want to just talk about my thoughts on it. Anyway, 1 John chapter 2, 12 to 14. I'm writing to you who are God's children because your sins have been forgiven through Jesus. Come on. I'm writing to you who are mature in the faith because you know Christ who existed from the beginning. I am writing to you who are young in the faith because you have won your battle with the evil one. Thank you, Jesus. I'm writing to you who are God's children because you know the Father. I have written... Sorry, to you. I have written to you who are mature in the faith because you know Christ who existed from the beginning. I have written to you who are young in the faith because you are strong. God's Word lives in your hearts and you've won your battle with the evil one. One more verse. And it might show the angle I want to take today in James chapter 1, verses 22 to 25. Don't just listen to God's Word. You must do what it says. Otherwise, you're only fooling yourselves. For if you listen to the Word and don't obey it, it is like glancing in your, at your face in a mirror. You see yourself walk away and forget what you look like. But if you look carefully into the perfect law that sets you free, and if you do what it says and don't forget what you heard, then God will bless you for doing it. Let's pray. Jesus, we love you. We thank you right now. Holy Spirit, speak through me. I pray that everyone here would receive the word you want preached, say your revelation from your word. And God, everything I make up that is not of you, I pray it falls to the ground and no one remembers it. Lord, help us to see you and know you more and more and more. In your wonderful name we pray. Amen. 
There's a few different uh, angles and opinions about this passage of what it could be taking, but the one thing everyone agrees on is that in no way, shape, or form is what is attached to the people I am writing to you who are is limited to them. If I explain that to make sense. When Paul says, I'm writing to you who are mature, what he then says doesn't only apply to those who are mature in faith, but each exhortation applies to all Christians. Almost everyone agrees with that. Thank you, Lord. So when he writes, I'm, I'm writing to the children of God, those who are young in faith because your sins have been forgiven. It's not only them. Does that make sense? I'm writing to you who are mature in the faith because you know the one who existed from the beginning. It's not only them. Everything that is preached, every exhortation applies to every Christian here. But the one thing Augustine, 4th century, uh, Bishop of Hippo, gotta love that. Come on now, in North Africa, that's just fantastic. Augustine's one of the greatest theologians of the first thousand years of Christianity. He writes, and his angle, his belief is that this is about Christian maturing. Christian maturity. Being in God and growing in God. And what I want us to look at today is the theological statements that are said in this passage. But what I want us to do by comparing it to James 1, if you will, I don't just want us to have the right theology or way of thinking as a church. Every point of theology we have should have an application attached to it. Every single thing we grow to understand through God's Word should be applied. There should be an action or something we do or something we become because of that truth. Karl Barth words it like this, theology should always lead to doxology. In other words, your understanding of God should always lead to you praising God. So let's not just accept theological points from this passage we're about to go through today and go fantastic, calculated, locked in. What I want us to do is stop and look at what should that point. Each, I'm going to bring out five things today. Each thing shouldn't just be, yeah, cool, I believe that, but should lead to an overwhelming praise or prayer or position that we have as Christians today. Is that cool? Let's jump into it for time's sake so we can go and have some communion lunch together. First thing I want us to look at is forgiveness. I am writing to you who are God's children because your sins have been forgiven through Jesus. First thing I catch there is that a theology of forgiveness should lead, lead you to live free. It's one thing to look at the Bible, read all these verses and I've been forgiven, I've been forgiven, I've been forgiven and go, okay, good, I calculated, locked in, I'm forgiven. It's a completely different thing to go, oh my gosh, I feel free. I'm, I'm going to live the rest of my life, this side of eternity, like a free person. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. We looked at a couple of weeks ago, 1 John chapter 1, verse 9. But if we confess our sins to Him, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all wickedness, right? This is talking about forgiveness. So how do we get forgiveness? We confess our sins. We recognise, we have sin. Jesus is good and perfect and can forgive us of our sins. So I confess my sin and He's so faithful and He's so just. Remember we looked at the justice of God. I love that. It's not just, he's not just good God, He's a just God. Because of the debt was paid on the cross, justice. He's so just that He wants to forgive you of your sin. 
He wants to. Which leads to Colossians, I think I've got there. Colossians, uh, James 1. Oh yeah, sorry, you're all right, Michelle. Michelle, you're right. If, if I say something wrong, just go ahead with what you got there. You're in the right. So this is why I want to bring up James 1. I've got like 12 verses today. So because today's the day for taking notes. I want you to write it down because I want you to put in practice these truths this week. What does living free on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday look like? Well, it looks like this. This is what James is talking about in James 1 where he says, if you look carefully into the perfect law that sets you free. That sounds like a paradox to me. That sounds like an oxymoron. Most laws don't make people feel free. They make people feel confined. But the law of Jesus Christ, the Word of God, sets you free. And when you look at the Bible again and again and again, what I'm saying is, like he said, there's some people who look at it, like they look in a mirror and they walk away and they completely forget what they just saw. It's like how many Christians open their Bible, they've got their devotions, they set their coffee up and they've got, yeah, I'm going through my verses today and they read about forgiveness and they read about the cross and they're like, fantastic. And they go to work and they're still exactly the same. Because it's not enough to just have correct theology. It's praying and asking the Holy Spirit to drop this from here to here. As Paul says in Ephesians 1, 17 and 18, that the eyes of your heart would be enlightened, that you may know Him, right? Receive a spirit of revelation and knowledge in who the Son is. Not just here. Help it to drop to here. And, pour, and that's why James is saying, oh, it's like looking into the Bible. It's the perfect law that sets you free. When you read these verses about confess your sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. Stare at that. Don't move on from that. I'm free. I'm free. Yeah, that's what we looked at at Easter with Colossians 2. Thank you, Michelle. He cancelled the record of the charges against us, but took it away. He took away the debt. He took away the thing that Romans 6 calls us slaves of sin. He took that away by nailing it to the cross. You're not a slave of sin anymore. You're a free person. And that's not enough to stay there. Let that drop to there. No, I am free. I'm a free person. And there is things trying to add shame from your past or guilt from your past. There, is, there are things happening. We're, I'm getting ahead. There's a point coming about that. But you're a free person. He who the Son sets free is free indeed. If you, obey my, if you abide in my word, you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. For God made you free to be free indeed. Relationship with Jesus is about freedom. If you haven't already done it, I beg you to chat to Leanne Gorry about a course we run here called Freedom in Christ. The reason I beg you is because I know so many Christians who know the truth, but are yet to know the truth, right? That's what today is about. Because Paul's, I've preached on this heaps, Paul prays in Ephesians chapter 3, Verse 19, oh, that you would know the love of God. Know that surpasses knowledge. Today's not just about knowing the right thing, church. 
It's about feeling it. Paul's like, I, I, John is sorry, he's like, I'm writing to those who have actually experienced freedom. And I have written as well. I just love this whole thing. He's like, I'm writing and I have written. It's like again and again and again. Let's look back at the truth and let that dictate how I live my tomorrow. Again and again and again. First thing, a theology of forgiveness should lead you to live free. Free. Thank you, Jesus. He's a good God, amen? Second thing, a theology of reconciliation should lead you to be intimate. Paul says, I'm writing to you who are mature in the faith because you know Christ. There it is again. Know Christ who existed from the beginning. If you've heard me preach even more than once, you will know this is maybe my most passionate topic ever. If you're a reader in the house, one of my... This, this is a big, I'm going to say top three books of all times outside the Bible. It is just such a rich book. J.I. Packer wrote a book called Knowing God. If you're a reader, oh my gosh, that's a game changer. But that is where it all comes down to, friends. You can't tell me you believe in the biblical theology of reconciliation without also believing that Jesus wants to be in your presence and be with you every single day. It just doesn't work. You can't, oh yeah, I fully believe Jesus died on the cross to bring me back to himself. Uh, why? How long since you've been in his presence? How long since you put worship on at home? Oh, it's been months. No, 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 no. That's why he died and rose again. To bring you back to himself. First Peter chapter 3, verse 18. For Christ also suffered once for sins. Look at the cross, that's why. The just, Jesus, for the unjust, me, that He might bring us to God. The goal of the cross was reconciliation, reformed relationship, back to one. You can't believe that without knowing that Jesus wants to be with you every day. He wants intimacy with you, friend. He wants closeness with you. That's why it changes your Monday and your Tuesday and your Wednesday. Finding time just to stop, be still, and know that He is God. To stop and be in His presence. It's exactly the same as 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 19. For God was in Christ, once again back to the cross, reconciling the world to Himself. See the love of God, the wooing of God, no longer counting people's sins against them. The goal of the cross was relationship restored. Amen. This is what Jesus was doing. Jesus, through the cross, was bringing you back to Himself and it has to lead to intimacy. I, I preach on this a lot, so I just keep coming back to some verses that... Like John 15, 4, abide in me and I will abide in you for apart from me, you can do nothing. Amen? That applies to your ability to be an amazing husband or wife, father, mother, uh, employer, employee, citizen of Gold Coast. I don't even know, but just across the board, apply it. God wants to change you, transform you through Intimacy, being in His presence. The goal of theological application of reconciliation 
is intimacy. I put there, reconciliation is not just positional. It's relational. Don't come to me like, yep, 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 I'm convinced. I'm convinced. I read that scripture as well. I'm convinced. I've been reconciled to God. Awesome. Does it lead you to want to be in His presence? Does it lead you to want to draw near boldly to the throne room of grace that you can obtain mercy in a time of need? Don't just know it, I beg you. I know it. Third thing. This is good. Come on, come on, punch, punch it out. Five points, all right. I can't spend too long on each one. Third thing. A theology of the cross should lead you to victory over Satan. I am writing to you who are young in the faith because you have won your battle with the evil one. I refuse to interpret that, especially because he's saying I write to those who are young in the faith because you have, you've already done it. I don't think this is Christians have beat up Satan because it's those who are really new Christians and it's saying it's already done. What I think it's saying is in Christ, we have victory over Satan, not in your own strength. I'm going to say this with all the love in my heart, but I've heard too many conferences and too many other charismatic preachers and stuff like that. When they talk about David and Goliath, they're always saying, and you are David. And there's a Goliath in your world for you to slay. And I'm like, wow, that is such a weaker truth than the real truth. Have you ever studied a topic called types of Christ in the Old Testament? If you have, then what you're going to realise is it's not like, oh, tomorrow there's a Goliath in your world that you are to slay. What you're going to realise is that Jesus is the truer and better David. A shepherd who comes in the form of a servant. David was only on the battle scene because he was bringing lunch to his brothers. Who didn't wear the armour of the earthly king, but instead came empowered in the name of the Lord, defeated the Goliath that God's people couldn't defeat. The Israelites have been freaking out for 40 days. They weren't confident. They were scared. Right there, you and I find our position in the story. We're the Israelites. Freaking out over a giant that we cannot beat. Sin and death. Satan, right there. Jesus comes, defeats the Goliath we could not defeat. And it was only once David cut off Goliath's head that God's people felt confident enough to go and overthrow the Philistine army. Guys, that's us. It is only when you look at the victory of Jesus on the cross that you feel confident enough to go into spiritual warfare this side of eternity. Satan has been defeated. I'm going to finish with this today, so I won't go too deep now. Even though there's still warfare happening, he's been defeated. We looked at Colossians 2 before. Let's look at it again. We looked at, he cancelled the record of charges against us and took it away by nailing it to the cross. Forgiven, freed, amen. What happened at the exact same time? Well, in this way, he disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities. He shamed them publicly by his victory over them on the cross. Satan has been defeated. And in Christ, 
Jesus was victorious, Christians are victorious. Should lead you to understand a victory over the cross. Now, make no mistake about it, Satan still lives. He's still called in Revelation 12, the accuser of the brethren. He is still in John 8, 44, called the father of lies. He is still in Ephesians 2, verse 2 and 3, called the prince of this air. And he is still in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4, called the God of this world. That means even though he's disarmed and defeated, there is still a fight for Christians to do. He's still coming at you. This is why Ephesians 6 says, take up the shield of faith. I've told you this again and again, but I want you that faith in Greek, it's pistis. It means saving faith. It doesn't mean believe in yourself. It means guard yourself with what Jesus did on the cross, saving faith. What you hold up to the devil is, nope, Jesus did the work. He disarmed you, Satan. Not, I'm freaking awesome. That's not the faith you need. I'm not trying to help you believe in yourself more. I'm trying to help you echo John the Baptist and decrease so he can increase in you. And when you pull up the shield of faith, Satan's throwing lies, Satan's throwing accusations, Satan's trying to torment you and you're blocking it, the fiery darts of the enemy by looking at what Jesus did on the cross going, shut up devil, you're a defeated foe. You've lost your battle. You've lost your battle. I'm a child of the Most High God. I, I surrender my life to the King of Kings, the uncreated who right now is at the right hand of the Father, who right now is in heaven. He's won. He rose again victorious. Thank you, Jesus. I'm looking at what He did on the cross. I'm staring at it. Every accusation falls to the ground. Every lie falls to the ground. And they won't love you. They can't accept you. Don't you remember what you did last year? Don't you remember what you did last night? And I look at the cross, theology of the cross. Shut up, accuser of the brethren. My Saviour is good and just and faithful to forgive me of my sin. My Saviour is a righteous one. The Holy Spirit is trying to fill me and free me week in, week out. That's what working out your salvation means. Shut up, devil. Thank you, Jesus. Theology of the cross, don't give in to that, mongrel. Satan is there, but he's defeated. He still roars or walks around like a roaring lion, but he's defeated. Amen? Every time you feel discouraged, look to the cross. And in it, what I hope you see, the reason, it does not fit the look of this at all, but I, I've never let anyone take that cross down. I'm like, I want the cross back. Every time I look at it, what I see is I'm incredibly loved. My debt is paid. Not I'm awesome. <laughs> it reminds me that I'm really not awesome, but I needed Jesus to be for me. A correct theology of the cross, Satan's defeated. The fourth thing, we're going good. I'm writing to you, Oh, sorry, did I have one? Oh, that's all right, Michelle. We'll go to the fourth one. Thank you. I've written to you who are God's children because you know the Father, a theology of adoption should lead you to talk to Abba Father. An intimate relationship with your Father in heaven. Romans chapter eight is so wonderful. We're gonna go through Romans eight for seven weeks at the end of this year. I literally cut our long service leave a week short because I'm like, babe, I just want to get back and start preaching Romans 8. Like, I'm so excited. <laughs> anyway, Romans 8, 15. You have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Freed people. Remember the first point? Forgiveness, live free. 
You're not fearful slaves, Christians. Instead, you've received God's Spirit when He adopted you as His own children. Now we call Him Abba, Father. I've touched on this before as well. Now, I want you to catch it. It's one of the few times the English translators left in a Greek word or a Hebrew word because it's so intimate and personal. So Abba Father is literally not just like Father, head knowledge, it's relationship. It's so relational. It's like, no, he's my dad. The reason that's amazing, I just know so many people who had either really awful uh, relationship with their dad growing up. This is good news. This is great news. You, this is the dad you were created for. And even like myself, I had a great relationship with my dad. Still to this day, God is still my true dad. It's the best thing ever. I, I love my kids. I love them. Great relationship with my kids. Every night when I pray for and I put them to bed, I always hope they receive it well, but I'm like, Lord, let them grow up knowing that you're their real father. And I know it's going to create some weird conversations, but I'm like, I want them to have those conversations. I want my kids to go to God for, in prayer for wisdom and identity before they come to me. As much as I want that conversation and that moment with them, once they get this, that God is their Father, everything changes. And it leads to talking to Him. It leads to, right? Not like a distant judge. He's like, oh, I hope he's happy. I hope I earned enough credits today by being a good person morally. It's not it. At the end of the day, man, my dad's just longing to talk to me. My dad, he's longing for a moment with me and I'm longing for a moment with him. This is what adoption should lead to. What else did I put up there? I, yes, John 17. Thank you so much. I knew I forgot one. This is eternal life that Christians, that they may know you, the one true God and Jesus Christ whom you've sent. What does it look like being saved? What does it look like having eternal life now, this side of heaven? Relationship with your Father in heaven. Intimacy. This is eternal life that they know you, the one true God. A, a, a theology of adoption should lead us to this intimate, personal, one-on-one -on -one life with God. And any parent in this room will know without a shadow of a doubt that you never want your kids to impress you. You just want them to be with you. You never want your kids to come up and be like, are you happy with me now, Dad? I... Actually, maybe I do. No, just, <laughs> I'm just kidding. Oh, missing out on so many free service. No. You never want your kids to be like, Dad, do you love me now? I, I just put my clothes away. Dad, do you love me now? Like, like, I always loved you. What are you talking about? Uh, my love for you isn't dependent on what you do. It's you. I love you. I love time with you as well. Can we just hang out, right? It's the same relationship your Father in Heaven wants with you. I'll finish with this. A theology of already not yet should lead you to celebrate while still fighting. What I touched on before with the cross, with cross helps us see that we've got victory over Satan. I still want this. Christians, let's keep fighting. Amen. I've written to you who are young in the faith because you are strong. God's Word lives in your hearts. And you have won your battle with the evil one. 
Keep going. Christian, yeah, you've won. In Christ, yes, you've won. In Christ, Jesus overcame the devil for you. Yes, it's done. And there's work to be done as well, right? Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Like I was saying before, there's this um, constant attack and accusation coming against us in our minds. We have to take up the armour of God daily. Put it there because this is just such a beautiful reminder of what we've, we've got to do. Keep fighting. Can we have Ephesians 6, please, Michelle? Keep fighting, Christian. Look at this. A final word. It's Paul writing to one of the biggest churches at, in the area at the time. Okay, Ephesus was one of the biggest churches. This is my final word. Be strong in the Lord and His mighty power. Amen. Put on all of God's armour so that you will be able to stand firm against all strategies of the devil. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. Just stop there for a second. Remember Colossians 2, 15, they've been disarmed. However, there is still war going on. That's why I wanted to highlight David and Goliath to you. Goliath's head has been cut off. However, us as God's people still need to overthrow the other army. There is still prayer to happen. There is still warfare going on. There are still loved ones. I don't know about you. Still got good friends in my street that don't know Jesus. I've got to pray for them. I've got to evangelise and share God's Word. I've got to believe for them. We've got our own mental battles going on. Got to get God, God's presence in our house. God's anointing in our house. There's still work to be done. So therefore, put on every piece of God's armour so you'll be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. Amen? And this is the theology of already not yet. I spoke on this a lot. When we preached through Philippians for four months, this was the, the sub-theme, already not yet. There is so much that God has already done for you, Christian, that you are now, you are a child of God now. But there's also so much to be done. You were saved by grace, through faith. This is not of your own doing. It is a free gift from God that no one can boast. Amen? That's salvation. You didn't do anything. But this is Ephesians 2, 8, 9, 10. For you are God's workmanship. He did all the work. Wow. So I've got nothing to do. No. Finish the verse. You are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which He prepared beforehand for you to walk in. Already not yet. So much has been done for you, Christian. Jesus has won. The victory is done. The cross screams that He has won. Now let's keep fighting. Amen? Let's take up our armour. Let's be at the prayer meeting Wednesday night, 6.30. Things are happening in our church that no events can solve, no, no amount of giving can solve. It's, it's, it's limited to prayer. I've got to be honest with you. Our gifts and talents are useless in some things in this battle. Prayer is one of the most powerful things we can do. Prayer and know the Word of God, I'm happy. If we can follow on those two things, we're doing good. So I can't wait to see you, 6.30, here, Wednesday, once a month. 
to pray. To pray. To put on your armour of God. To stand in God's presence for yourself, for your family, for someone else in our church, for your neighbours. Let's keep fighting, amen? There's real warfare happening right now. And having that theology is good, but it has to lead to practice. It has to lead to killing comfort to get up in the morning and pray for your family, to come here and pray for our church. Let's put on the armour together. Can I pray with you before we finish? Jesus, we love you. We thank you for loving us. God, I pray that as we continue growing in our theology, growing in our understanding of who you are, Jesus, of what you've done, of what you're doing now, of your role now, as we continue praying and learning about all of these rich, beautiful theological truths, I pray that they would overflow into application and action. I pray that they would help us to live free. I pray that it would help us to be intimate with you. I pray that it would help us to be convinced that you have victory over Satan. Pray that we would live like people who talk to our Abba Father in heaven. And I pray that we would live like people convinced the victory has happened, but there's still warfare going on. There's still work to be done. Help us to be front-footed Christians, Lord. Help us to fulfill the words on the wall and walk with you and work with you. Keep company with you. Help us to live with you, Jesus. Holy Spirit, give us eyes to see what you are doing in our workplace, what you are doing in our families, what you are doing in our neighborhood. Help us to join you in your mission, God, to continue reconciling people to yourself. In your wonderful name we pray. Amen. If anything happened today during the worship or the preaching God's Word today, if something's gone on in your heart, like if something's just come alive here and you're like, oh my gosh, I, I want Jesus. I don't think I've ever had a relationship with Him like Dan's talking about. I think I knew some things, but I never knew Him or had a relationship with Him. If something's happened in your heart today, I'd love to pray with you. I'm going to wait there after the service. I'm not going to get you up in front of everyone. I'm going to wait there. I'd love to pray with you. We'd love to give you a free Bible. I'd love to talk with you about what's happened in your heart today. Apart from that, I'm going to hand back to Denzel to close our service. Love you, church.